Hi, Marine Creek. Hi, Marine Creek. Can you say hi? Hi. Hi. We're the Vasquez family. I'm Sebastian or Seba. This is my wife, Erin. This is Sophia. And this is our newborn, Elias. And we just want to say thank you for your support in our work up here in Toronto, Canada. Erin and I are university church planners here in Toronto. We're trying to train students to take a church planning approach to their campuses by living missionally amongst their classmates. We want to see students start churches on their campus and then commit to church planning after they graduate. We're using part of the support you're sending us to pay for meals we provide for the students in our home. We really want to give these young people a home away from home and you make it possible. You're also helping us with our travel expenses because getting around in Toronto can be kind of pricey. It's about a $10 round trip ticket to downtown or about $15 in parking if we drive. We're reaching out to our neighborhood as well. Eight of our neighbors have already said they want to do Bible study. We're also trying to join a community center where we can meet a lot more people and make more contacts. I want to say thank you for your support. So, can you say thank you? Yeah, thank, thank you, you so much. That's uh, Aaron and Seba Vasquez, and uh, I wanted you to see them. Uh, we've got some other videos you'll see. Uh, they are uh, talking about church planning, which is very near and dear to my heart. They are uh, working with the International Mission Board, and the reason that I showed that video and want you to see who they are is they are one of the missionaries that we at the Creek support. Um, so when you give, uh, you're not just giving to support us meeting in this nice daycare center. Our giving uh, is designed so that we give into a storehouse. And as a church, we're a local storehouse. And so our responsibility is to get funds and ministry to where God is pointing us to get funds and ministry to. And so when you give, you, you are getting the gospel to kids and, and colleges in Toronto, Canada. That's very near to my heart. My daughter was in that video. Um, she was one holding the little girl. So she's going to school in Toronto. And I've seen what Jesus has done in her life. I've seen her fall in love with Jesus. So uh, it's very near and dear to my heart. Uh, we also support a missionary in Brazil. And uh, he is uh, getting the gospel to the pe people of Brazil. We support an organization called Global Support Mission. And they have the gospel just going all over the place uh, in Africa, Uganda. Uh, we were talking, I met with the owner of the, the, the mission company, and he, he just was sharing his heart. So we've got that. We support KidStand. Um, you have met KidStand and have seen um, it's their, their high-energy uh, to say the least, uh, programs and their ability that God has opened the door to go into public schools um, to be the gospel to our kids in the public school and then to be able to share the gospel with them afterwards. So when you give, you're not just giving to support a machine here. Um, if that's the case, we've got bigger problems in the church. And so I wanted you to meet Aaron and Saba to see where that goes. And, and we're going to be talking a lot more about that and what that looks like as a church and our missions and uh, our missionary uh, giving and then our core value of missional living. Uh, today we're back in Matthew. I want to thank Joseph. He did a great job. And I, I was off last week, but I came and I got to attend my church. And uh, it was so cool. Um, and some people were like, well, if you were off, why were you here? I wanted to be a part of my church. And uh, I got to do some really cool things and go and, and sit in other ministries in our church and, and be a part of uh, Creek Kids. I was exhausted. 
um, after the second service. Uh, if you serve in Creek Kids, I love you. Thank you. Um, we need to, instead of coffee, we need a monster bar so you can get monster energy drinks, you know, and we'll add sugar for you if you need it. But um, uh, let me just do a little housekeeping with that real quick. Um, uh, if you're visiting with us, thank you for being here. Um, but um, I need to have a little bit of family time with us as a church. We are a family, um, and I, I did get to go into Creek Kids, and they is, that is an amazing ministry. Tammy's doing an amazing job, has an amazing team. But, but I saw some gaps, um, and I'm not going to stand up here and, and, and say I need six people to step forward right now, but I'm just going to be honest with you. Church family, that's a need. That's a very valuable ministry close to my heart and in this church, and there's need in there, and I'm going to tell that to you. I want you to pray about, God, do you want me to serve in that area? We have, uh, there's six openings right now um, to cover it. Uh, Ten would be Tammy's dream team, so I want you to pray about that. If kids aren't your passion, uh, you don't have to pray about it. I don't want you in there um, because you have to love kids, and uh, it's not just watching kids. I, I want you to be passionate about teaching kids the gospel and why they're created and why God loves them. And so I'm just going to have that family time. Thanks for bearing with me on that. Just wanted to get that out um, before, we, before we get that because I wanted to get them up front. Um, that's important to us as a church. If you've got your Bible, go to Matthew 27. We're going to be in 27 and 28. If you look in your Bible, uh, you'll realize 28's the last chapter of Matthew. So um, we've got another week. We're going to finish Matthew next week. Uh, maybe we should have a party. Year and a half we've been journeying through this gospel of Matthew. But it's been a beautiful journey. We've seen the ups, downs. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Um, but we have followed Jesus uh, from a virgin birth. <clears throat> we have uh, seen him grow. We've seen his ministry grow. We've seen the miracles. We've seen him walk on water. We've seen thousands of people fed. We have seen how he works through his disciples, how he called his disciples, that his disciples are a mess. And if you think about it, we're, we're a mess, aren't we? We're a messy lot, oh people. Um, we got baggage and we got junk, but praise God that he calls us uh, to work in his kingdom, that he can take a mess and do something amazing. And uh, same thing with the disciples. They were a mess. We see that going. We see Jesus uh, interact and really butt heads with religious leaders. And uh, all of us who have a relationship with Jesus, like, yeah, go Jesus, man. And uh, those that uh, uh, were caught up in religion, he was really diagnosing some just religious uh, junk, we'll, we'll call it. And, and he says, you've got a problem and religion is your problem. And he says, but here's the thing, I am the solution. And so then we see uh, uh, God, Jesus, who is God, fully man, fully God, lived, uh, was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, who had ministry on the earth. That life, uh, two weeks ago, we talked about that, led him to the cross. And on the cross was a brutal process uh, was crucified for our sins from the foundation of the world. Before God spoke anything into existence, he knew what Jesus was going to do. He knew when he would set foot on earth. He knew what that would look like. He knew how Jesus would give his life. And then today is the beauty uh, and the reality of the resurrection that we get to talk about. And so this is where our journey has led us. It's led us uh, to the cross and now to the tomb. And, and praise God, we're going we're gonna to rejoice today and study about an empty tomb. And so I, I, I say all that to give context 
because uh, everything we talk about today is central to the Christianity. It's central to the gospel. And uh, the resurrection is, is, is vital. Res- the resurrection is the hinge on which the door of Christianity opens and closes. If we don't get our mind around this resurrection and our faith wrapped into the resurrection, then, then we've missed the point. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15 that if the resurrection is false, then we of all men are to be most pitied because we've put our faith into nothing. But thank God that the resurrection is truth. It's fact. And instead of of all men being most pitied, we of all mankind are most joyful because the resurrection is the truth. I'm going to set some things up before we go into this story. If this story had been false, I can assure you it would not have been told in the way it was told. It would have been dolled up. I mean, we know how to embellish stories, right? We're people. I mean, just ask any guy about a past fishing trip. Um, He knows how to embellish just at the parts where it's right, you know? You got to make it believable yet extravagant. I don't believe that this story about the resurrection is made up as, as some writings claim. Here's the bottom line. You can believe the resurrection or you don't, but you can't deny it based on evidence. There has to be some deeper reason why you'll deny it or why I would deny it. It's not based on evidence and we're gonna, we're gonna step through that evidence. But let me just challenge you with this. We're not looking for a sign here. We're going to read truth and we're going to engage evidence. However, that evidence is not the transformation that we're seeking. It's the risen Savior that is the transformation that we're seeking. We want to connect not with evidence, but with the truth of a risen Savior. Are we clear? We're tracking with that? Here we go. Um, uh, Matthew 27. If you've got a Bible, uh, go there. If you don't, we have some at the end of the rows. If you don't own a Bible, please take that. Make that your own. That is our gift to you. And uh, we want you to have that access to the Word of God. We'll be in Matthew 27. uh, Verse 57 is where we'll start. And uh, if you need help getting there, the table of contents helps me out all the time. but let me set this up here. Uh, this is the tomb, the burial of Jesus. As Jesus, or as evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had found him, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Let, let me help explain to you who Joseph of Arimathea is. Uh, Joseph was a rich religious leader. Uh, remember back in chapter 21 through 25-ish uh, where Jesus is diagnosing the spiritual junk and he's saying you've got a problem. The religious leaders is a problem. We've got to deal with some stuff here. He, I mean, he was calling them out. He was speaking truth. He was loving them with the truth. Well, in that process, um, he says, you've got a problem, 26, 27, and 28, I am the solution. And so through this process and this, this clashing with the religious leaders, uh, this man Joseph of Arimathea becomes a disciple of Jesus. And Nicodemus uh, is one of those guys uh, in the same, about the same time. Remember the conversation Jesus had with Nicodemus uh, when he said, uh, and he was a religious leader, he said, what do I have to do to get eternal life? And Jesus says, you know, you, you must be reborn. And, you know, uh, this brilliant, educated religious leader says, how do I go back into my mother's womb, Jesus? That doesn't make sense. 
Jesus explains the process of spirit giving birth to spirit and that transformation, that rebirth. And Nicodemus also becomes a disciple. But Joseph of Arimathea is proof that Jesus can save religious people. Um, It's not easy. Um, but Jesus does desire to save the religious people. uh, Let me just say this. If you're caught up in just the baggage and the weight of religion and the rules and and everything, you're missing out on a relationship with Jesus. All of this, all of Scripture, the gospel, the life of Christ is not so we can be religious. Understand this. It's so we can have a relationship with, with our Father God so that we can have an, an intimate, close relationship with the God of the universe, the one true God who created us and loved us. Okay, let's not miss that point. So let's, let's leave the religious junk behind. But he goes to Pilate and he asks for Jesus' body and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. Uh, here's what's going on. Uh, Joseph comes and, and uh, asked Pilate for the body of Jesus and, and buries him in a borrowed tomb. Joseph was a rich man. And Jesus was buried in a rich man's tomb. As a matter of fact, about 700 plus years in Isaiah 53 before this happened, uh, God prophesied and told us that his son, Jesus, would be buried among the rich. Jesus was a common man, a carpenter. The only way this happened is God moves on the heart of a rich man to give him the tomb and to go through this process. Why is this important? Why is God so concerned about all these little details about the life of Jesus? Why are we told that he was going to be buried among the rich? Why are we told that the stripes that he endures on his back is for our healing? Why does God give us uh, prophecy years ago that he's going to be crucified? Why all the details of Jesus' life? Because the Bible, the scripture, all 66 books of the Bible, you run a common theme through it. It is the redemption of mankind. And that redemption comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so God is absolutely concerned about the details of Jesus' life because Jesus is everything. If, if we go to church and all we get is religious or we figure out how to follow a bunch of rules or we figure out how to satisfy the people that we go to church with so that they, we, we've got friends there and everything runs smooth there and then we've got our work friends and we've got our, uh, our, our, we're friends with parents at our kids' schools. We've got friends in our neighborhood and we float to these different circles. We've missed it. We've missed the point. If we come to church and we get everything but Jesus, we've missed everything. If, if we live our life confined in our neighborhood or in our work circles or in our school friend circles or whatever circles we are and Jesus is not a part of that, we've missed everything. Jesus, as much as he is the thread through scripture of the redemption of mankind, he needs to be that thread through our life of the gospel that we live and we model this life, this hope that would bring someone to say, I want him to borrow my tomb. Let's not miss this. Here's another thing to point out about this. Uh, who is at the, the, cro- or the tomb? It's Mary and the other Mary. 
This is important to the gospel story and to the truth and the evidence of the resurrection because the religious leaders want to refute this. Well, in order to refute this, they have to use the testimony or the story of Mary and Mary. Here's the problem with that in the first century. Women were not credible witnesses. Women had no uh, validity in the court system or in the religious system. And so the religious leaders aren't going to rely on the testimony of a woman. Here's what I love about Jesus' side of Mary and Mary being being at the tomb. Jesus validates women. Over the centuries, somehow we've, we've turned Christianity in this thing to where, you know, men, we kind of put ourselves above women. Or it, That's not true. Jesus has done more to liberate women than we could ever think of doing. And that he gives credibility to their story. Now, their story and, and what the religious leaders are wanting to say, and so many people think that the, the body, that Jesus was not really dead, um, I had an interesting conversation with myself this week, and I don't know the Holy Spirit was involved, but, but a lot of me wrestling with this, where they said he wasn't really dead, uh, that, uh, or, or someone else died in his place. You have people that saw Jesus, walked three years with him, okay? Spent pretty much every waking hour with the man. Saw him beaten, saw him on the cross, took him down. They had to spend time with the body preparing it for burial. And we read that Joseph wrapped him in linen and other gospels say spices. Okay, let's understand what that means. To do that was a very close process. If you read the gospel accounts, there's about 75 pounds of linen and spices involved with this. It took a long time to wrap and prepare the body. Tradition and custom was to to wrap the body in linen and spices, let the body decay and decompose, and then after three years, go back and collect the bones and put them in an ossuary to memorialize them. And that's what they were preparing to do with Jesus. And they had to spend time with them. Now, Jesus was physically dead. If Joseph was preparing his body, there's no way Jesus could hold his breath that long. I mean, some people think that he was faking his own death. I'm sorry, Jesus, he's fully God, but he's also fully man. He's confined by the physical restraints of man. So not even the movie holding of breath, okay? And that's a long time. The, The conversation going on in my mind was, well, the only way that Jesus could hold his breath long enough is if he was God. So either way, you know, well, he, he's either God and he's dead or he's God and he's holding his breath for a really long time. Jesus was physically dead. Okay, the, the, the evidence and the truth, he was physically dead. Some think the body was stolen. Uh, when you read the account of John, uh, the, the clothes were still there as though they were on the body. I've never stolen a body. Um, I don't plan to, so <laughs> Relax. Um, I can pass a background check for our kids' ministry. Um, but uh, I wouldn't think that you would go through all the trouble to, to roll your chariot up to the stone, roll the stone away. I think of Disciples 11, you know, instead of Ocean's 11. Um, roll the stone away. Uh, go in, unwrap the body. 75 pounds of linen. I don't know, 75 pounds, that's a lot of fabric, okay? Uh, unwrap the body, take the body, rewrap 
to make it look like it. So that way, in case somebody looks in the tomb, they'll go, oh, yeah, he's still in there. All good. I, I've never stole, like I said, but I don't think that's how I would do it. And this detail is vital. It's important. So let's go on. Uh, the next day, the one after preparation day, which is the Sabbath, uh, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. Uh, interesting. They call the, the Jesus the deceiver. Uh, that's a cute name for the man who just died for your sin there, isn't it? Um, the thing to point out about that is we're going to read through this story and we're going to find out who's really involved in the deception through the resurrection story. And here's what I want us to, to take from this. As they call Jesus the deceiver and they're plotting here, there's something going on under the surface, is, is we want to blame Jesus for uh, everything we're guilty of. Meaning, uh, we want to we blame Jesus for why we're caught up in our sin. Think about it. I mean, the religious leaders just had to humble themselves. And they wanted to blame Jesus for being a liar and a deceiver when they themselves were, were building the deception. And I'll, I'm just going to say this. Uh, the thing that saddens me and disappoints me is, is when Christians or people in church deal with guilt. And it saddens me on several levels because we have this amazing ability sometimes in churches to become religious. And when someone is struggling with something, uh, we tend to heap the guilt on them. Or we tend to think, well, how could they be dealing with that? Uh, I don't understand why that going on. You just need to pray it through. And people feel guilty because uh, of what they experience in church. We're not going to be like that. If you're struggling with sin, you're in the right place. And here's the two words that I will say to you is, me too. You're struggling with sin, so am I. But you know what? We're following Jesus. The cross dealt with our sin. Here's what I love about the foot of the cross. It's level ground. My sin and your sin, it's still sin. And we deal with it at the foot of the cross. And, and we're not going to get into this junk about, about condemning people for their sin. That's, there's no place for that here. You know what? Let's grab each other by the shoulder or whatever we got to do and let's walk together to the foot of the cross. And let's deal with our sin. And let's quit heaping guilt on people. Here's the other thing that, that really frustrates me is when, when we fall into these... Uh, I call them sin cycles. You know, we kind of get over, overwhelmed by sin and we find ourselves giving into it more and more and more. And what happens is the Holy Spirit starts to move on us and the Holy Spirit's convicting us of sin. By the way, the Holy Spirit convicts of sin. I don't convict you of sin. If I do, we get back into what I just finished talking about and heaping guilt on you. I'm going to speak the truth in love. The Holy Spirit's going to work on it. And the Holy Spirit works on me and my sin that I get into these sin cycles and I, I start feeling guilty for my sin. And, and what happens is I tend to disconnect myself from Scripture or from, from people that can encourage me spiritually because I'm feeling the guilt. L let, me, let me say this, please. Do not disconnect yourself from the main place that you can get support for the, for the things that you need help with. 
This, we, we have a no condemnation policy, if that's what you want to call it. But either way, there's guilt involved. The enemy is good at heaping guilt on us too, by the way. There is an enemy that wants to keep us from the, the foot of the cross. And there's an enemy that wants to keep us away from an empty tomb because he wants to keep us away from a Savior. He's a liar. He's not stupid. And he will use what God may have delivered you from to heap more guilt on you. Be careful. All right? Let me just, just cover that real quick. There you go. It's covered. We're accountable for it because I've said it. He said, so give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate answered, take a guard. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Let me, let me explain to you how they made this as secure as they know how. A guard is not one Roman soldier. Uh, we tend to go to the Sunday school side of the story and there's one Roman guard standing there and the stone is in front of the tomb. A guard is a dispatch of about 16 troops. These would be 16 highly trained troops. These were the elite. This like the SEAL Team 6 of the Roman army. These guys were trained so much so and so well that they could kill you quick if they wanted to or they could kill you slow so it suffers over a long amount of time. They knew they were fighting. They were trained not to fear. Don't be afraid. These were, they were fighting machines. They had been brainwashed by the system of Rome. And so this dispatch of troops, 16 guards, 16 troops, highly trained are standing in front of the, the tomb. Then what they would do is the stone in front of the tomb, they would wrap a large cord around the stone, sealing where the stone meets the the entrance. They would run that rope or that cord around and they would seal the ends of the rope with wax or clay so that it it would stay there. And then what they would do, that seal, one of the guards would have a signet ring with the, the stamp and the seal of Rome and the authority of Rome, and he would take that signet ring and he would stamp it into the wax or the clay. And what, is, what it's done is the seal of Rome has been placed on the tomb of Jesus. It says his body's here, he's here, and there's guards outside. No one is going to mess with this body. If you break that seal, Rome will break you. And Rome was very brutal about and very ferocious about these things. Think about the women watching this from a, from, from a distance and, and being at the cross. They weren't allowed outwardly to grieve. Custom and law was if Rome put someone to death, they weren't considered worthy of grieving as a human. And so any human grieving the death of someone executed by Rome or sentenced to death, if you grieved you would be punished. That's how serious they were. And so they go and they make this tomb secure. So they think. Let's talk about the resurrection. Chapter 28. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. I love it. You break the seal, Rome will break you. 
and this angel's earthquake brings the angel and come on, bring it on. Let me, let me help, help you with this though. Uh, the stone wasn't rolled away so Jesus could get out. The stone was rolled away so that we could see in, so that we could understand that our faith is in a Savior and not an empty tomb. You can go all across the, 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 the Far East and the Middle East and tombs of kings and leaders are there and their bodies are there. The tomb of Jesus is empty and the angel rolled away the stone so that we could see that it's empty. Um, you've got this angel. Let me just say this about the angel. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. You know one of my soapboxes is how much we've taken these angelic things and, and godly things and, and wimped them down, kind of sissified Jesus a little bit. This was no cherub, okay? This wasn't a fat little baby-looking angel with wings flapping down to sit on the stone. I'm sure that would have really scared these guards, Okay? They probably would have shot it as some funky bird that they'd never seen before so that they could mount on their wall, you know? What kind of bird is that? I don't know, but I shot it in the graveyard. Okay, this angel came down and was so fierce and so intimidating that you have an elite fighting group of highly trained Roman soldiers shaking like dead men. I mean, that were so afraid, they were paralyzed. I mean, someone who for years had been trained not to fear is gripped with fear. Hey, God, this angel was ferocious. God is ferocious in his love. Okay, God is, God is not going to be docile. And, and the reason we can see how God is ferocious in his love is look at what he was willing to send his son through so that we could have a relationship with him so that we could be reconciled. And then the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He didn't tell the soldiers they didn't have to be afraid. He's like, keep on fearing, baby. But see, when, when, when we're looking for Jesus, we don't, we don't walk in fear. We don't look in fear. He says, you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. This passage changes everything. Everything before this passage leads up to it. I mean, this is the climax of Scripture. This is where God was building the redemption story from the beginning of the foundation of the earth to from the time he stepped out and spoke everything into existence when he led the children of Israel out of Egypt, when he led King David, when he was working through the prophets in the Old Testament, from the time that he, he, appeared, he spoke to this virgin named Mary and said, you are going to carry the child of God. The Messiah will be born through you. This life that Jesus walked, the cross that Jesus endured, and now the resurrection, this is the part that history has looked forward to. This passage changes everything. 
this passage changes everything that we look back to because this is our hope. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is Christ being verified that he is who he said he is. When he said, I am the Messiah, the way, the truth, and the life, that no man comes to the Father but through me, Christ is verified. And because of this resurrection, that means that God the Father accepted his sacrifice. I mean, think about it. The perfect lamb. There can be no remission of sins without the shedding of blood. And his sacrifice was accepted. The other thing that we have to see here is that there is life after death. That death is not the end of us. It's not the end of who we are or our existence. That there's something beyond that. Jesus died. And now they're seeing him again. It's like what he said to Mary and Martha when Lazarus died. He said, he will live again. And so if there's life after death, then we have to really understand that through the verification of Christ, that Jesus is the authority on this life after death. And that through him, as being the authority of life after death, and the God's son, the Messiah, the risen Savior, that he gives us that newness of life. I think of I think of when when we uh, gather um, to do a memorial service, and at the graveyard I, I share a story that says, "Oh death, where is your sting?" This is what Paul writes in First Corinthians First Corinthians fifteen. Oh death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? It's because Jesus walked out of the tomb that he overcame the sting of death. And he is victorious over death. You know, unless Jesus comes back before our life is over, we will go through this process of death. But what I love about it is Jesus was laid in this tomb and was resurrected. You will not spend any time in that casket. When our faith is in him, man, by the time they can get your body in there, your soul, your spirit is with Christ in the presence of God. Now, one day he will resurrect these bodies and put them all back together and they'll be glorified and he'll be able to do what Photoshop can do for real. Um, <clears throat> but you know, I get questions about heaven like, well, well I know people in heaven. Uh, let me just say this about that. I hope we have more sense in heaven than we do here. You know, um, Think, think about the knowledge and wisdom that we will enter into. And so uh, this passage changes everything. This is central to Christianity. That this, is, this does not give us license to be religious, but this opens the door to relationship because Jesus came from heaven to earth for us. That Jesus went from, from earth through death on a cross for us from the cross to a grave for us and from the grave through the power of the Holy Spirit stepped out for us, for you, for me. 
And so this changes everything. This should transform how we see Jesus and how we interact with the gospel and how we see our King. Uh, Jesus appeared to many people after the resurrection. So it's not just like, okay, the angel said it and he saw uh, Mary and appeared to the disciples and Mary and Mary. Uh, There are documented historical accounts outside of Scripture of this man, Jesus, who appeared after he was killed. At at one point, he appeared to 500 people at one time. And one of your further readings this week is 1 Corinthians 15. And Paul wrote, he appeared to 500 people at one time, most of whom are still alive today. What Paul's saying is if if this was to the readers, original readers in Corinth, that if you think this is fake, go ask them. I was reading one commentary this week, and the, the religious leaders had uh, to refute that claim, started a rumor that there was a mass hypnotism that, that happened. I, you know what? It, I need all of y'all to look right here. <laughs> you saw Jesus. <laughs> he was here. I Come on. Sometimes I think it's harder to avoid Jesus than to just say, you know what, here I am. I'm messed up, I'm sinful, but here I am. And I love that God put this in real history. This is not a fairy tale. I get so fed up uh, with thinking Christianity is, is something that is so foolish that we have to fake ourselves into believing. You're not going to fool yourself into believing the resurrection. Christianity is not about this. Christianity is about believing something so amazing that sometimes it's scary to think it's true. But you're not going to, this isn't a fake it till you make it. This isn't a, uh, I, I think I can get my mind around this. Christianity allows us to put faith in a risen Savior so that we believe, we understand that this is true and God puts this in real history. I, I'm convinced that people want to reject God not because of the evidence, not because you can go and, and find historical documented proof outside of Scripture that Jesus was a, alive, he was a teacher, he was killed, he was crucified, and he was seen walking around after his crucifixion. We, we look at evidence, and unless there's transformation, it's not going to do anything. We tend to want to reject God because we don't like the consequences or, or implications of our sin. Let's just be honest. I don't like that God would punish me for my sin. I don't, I don't want to love him because that I, I, I means I have to submit to him. And I don't like what he, what, what he says about my sin, and so I reject God. We don't believe it or not believe it based on evidence. We accept or reject the Messiah and our Savior. I believe this. To believe means I have to confront my sin. If I'm going to put my faith and my hope and my trust in my Savior, it means I've got to realize I do have sin. I am not perfect. We are a messed up bunch of people. We don't excuse our sin, but we also understand that we are not perfect that I am not perfect. I fall. I made a comment to, to a kid yesterday who fell. I said, in life, it's not if you fall, but it's how you get back up. 
You know what? That's sin. It's not, if you're watching me to see if I fall, you probably won't have to watch very long. I mean, I, the only reason I'm, the problem, I don't think I've sinned in this message is because of the Holy Spirit speaking through me, you know? I, I'm sure I have. I'm sure by the time I leave here and get home, this, I'm, I, we're sinful people. But confront it. Don't ignore it. Deal with it. Say, God, I'm so tired of my sin. I love you, Jesus, more than I love my sin. That's, transfer, that, that's transformation when that starts happening. When you can truly say God to God, God, I love you more than I love this sin. I love you more than how this sin makes me feel before I start feeling the guilt. And man, confront it. If you need help, you have help here to confront that sin. Let's go on here. Um, So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. I I can't imagine the emotion that's going on there. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. Um, If I would have been there, I would have been... Think about it. They're running to tell the disciples what they... They saw an angel. Okay, that's going to be a little bit exciting, wouldn't you think? You see the guards trembling, you see an angel. So you got uh, like a Mr. Clean looking guy, you know, a manly guy. I don't, I'm puffing up my shoulders like, he's not here, he's risen. Go tell his disciples. So they're running, trying to reconcile what just happened. All of a sudden they see Jesus. He's like, what's up? You're like, Haha, Jesus, you make all things new, right? You bet. Can you make my drawers new? Because we got a problem. <laughs> but I love what they do. They came to him clasped his feet and worshipped him. In the ancient Near East, the custom was if you found yourself in the presence of a king uninvited, uh, your life was on the line. And the custom was to fall on your face before the king and grab his ankles. It was a sign of respect. It was a sign of gratitude for the mercy that you were being shown. And what do they do to Jesus? They fall at his feet and they grab his ankles. Why did Matthew write his gospel account? To say that here is the king you've been waiting for. And you've got these women falling before their king in mercy and in gratitude and gratefulness. And they clasp his feet and they say, Jesus, you are my king. And your mercy is so great. And Jesus tells them, to get up, don't be afraid, go tell my brothers. And the reason he said don't be afraid is because, well, I mean, they see Jesus, but the presence of the king, he could take your life at any point. And so I'm sure, I don't know if you've been confronted with God's holiness, when you're dealing with your sin, it's like the pop that just happened a little while ago. You know, he's like, don't be afraid. I have mercy. He says, go and tell my brothers. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. He's talking about the disciples. This is the group of men that denied him, betrayed him, walked away from him. That Peter, in earshot of Jesus, when the girl asked, aren't you the one that was with that man? Curses her out. And Jesus is like, go tell my brothers. If I died for your sins and saw that you do all that, I would have a much different word than brother, all right? 
you would be glad I'm showing you mercy. But I want to be calling you brother. Go tell my brother. He's saying that we've got a connection. We've got a blood tie. My blood was shed for you. You're my brothers. He says, go tell them to go to Galilee and they will see me there. I love this. Don't miss the grace in that. That's transformational grace, by the way. And then let's look at the guard's report. Let's see how the resurrection was handled by those who were not following Jesus and religious. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went to the city and reported to the chief priest everything that happened. I can imagine that conversation. Um, When the chief priest had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole them away while we were sleeping. Um, I don't sleep with one eye open. I mean, I don't, I'm not a mom. I know all you moms could probably, if, if these guards had been moms, they probably could have been, yes, I was sleeping and someone came and went in. But if they were moms too, they wouldn't have let anybody in that tomb. I mean, I, I couldn't sneak in my mom's bedroom while she was asleep. She did that. <gasps> like, oh. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated to the, uh, among the Jews to this very day. Um, it's amazing how people will change the message of Jesus to fit themselves. That still happens today, yes, sadly is that we will change the gospel or manipulate or conform the gospel into what message we want to do. Uh, We use the gospel as a foundation for our church soapboxes or we use the gospel as a foundation for our political soapboxes and that is wrong. It is absolutely wrong. The uh, interesting thing here is these soldiers, the penalty for falling asleep at your post was you would be burned alive. Well, you would be burned until you're dead. And they would use the soldiers' clothes to start the fire. Brutal. Rome was brutal. So it had to be a large enough sum of money to take care of them. Think about it. They could never talk about that at all. I mean, the report was circulated among the Jews. If it got out among the Romans, those soldiers' lives were gone. I'm just convinced that it just takes more work to avoid Jesus than to just submit to him. And let let me say this, as your pastor, as a leader of this church, this spiritual community, that I will not change the gospel to fit our needs. That's That's a stake that I've put in ground, in the ground. I am more concerned about glorifying God than making you happy. I am more concerned about glorifying God than than our community of people liking me. If preaching the truth in love, we're not going to be jerks, by the way. We're going to preach the truth in love and humility. But if preaching the truth and the gospel message means that we're in a daycare longer than we really want to be, so be it. If it means that we don't have all of the nice things or great fame amongst the, the Saginaw, Eagle Mountain, Fort Worth, Texas... 
Marine Creek neighborhood, so be it. We will teach and follow the truth, the gospel, and be very clear about who Jesus is, even if it kills us. That's my stake in the ground because our mission here is to glorify God through lives changed by the message of Jesus, not to build our own kingdom through how we can manipulate somebody to do something we want to do so we feel better about ourselves. Yeah, you see how much work that takes to follow. You know what? Our goal, let's give glory to our Father through what the Son has done. And how do we do that? With the power of the Holy Spirit. My challenge to you is this, is simply use, use the faith God gives you to believe. Let me explain that. If you try to muster up and fool yourself into believing that this is true, it's manufactured faith. But God actually gives you the faith to believe. And as I was wrestling with this and God was saying, you know, challenge people because I've given them faith. Tell them to give it back to me. Uh, God, what are you talking about here? And let me explain this. There was a father who brought his son to Jesus who was possessed. And he says, Jesus, if you are willing, if you are able, will you heal my son? And Jesus like, if I'm able. He said, I'm, anything is possible to him who believes. And I love what the father said because there's so much going on in this. He said, I do believe. Help me in my unbelief. It means we have to get honest to say, God, I believe you are who you say you are, but I need your help believing it. I need to return the faith to you that you've given to me so there's transformation going on. Uh, The gospel without the transformation and our faith in it, makes us religious, empty people. But when the power of the Holy Spirit moves and spirit gives birth to spirit, and the same power that called everything into existence is the same power that led the Israelite children through the desert, is the same power that that resurrected Jesus from the tomb. It's the same power that is alive and at work in us today when we put our faith in Christ. And that's how we can live the reality of the resurrection. So my challenge is is not don't doubt the resurrection. It's not don't question the resurrection. But use the faith God has given you to live out the reality of the resurrection. And that's only you getting with God and being honest with it. Let's pray. Father, we love you and thank you so much for the power of the Holy Spirit that you are distinct yet three in one. That God, you as Father sent your Son to die for us. But the story doesn't end there. The beauty of the story and the gospel is that he was raised by the power of the Holy Spirit. That a beautiful thing was done as a son glorified his father and a father glorifies his son. And it's done with the power and working of the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Thank you for that truth. Thank you that we put our life in that as fact. 
But more importantly, thank you for giving us the power to live our lives as though the resurrection is real. That we of all men are most joyful. And Father, I ask you today that, that this morning where we're at, I know some of us are struggling with belief. I know uh, we are facing difficult times. I know there's so many things going on in the lives of our families at the creek. And God, I just pray for you to give them strength. Help them to just, just root themselves in the gospel, to plant themselves in Jesus that the power who created everything is the same power, the same Holy Spirit that called Jesus from the tomb. It's the same Holy Spirit that gives us the power to live our lives to glorify you. And so, Father, we lay ourselves together at the foot of the cross. And we're honest with you. We, we have sin in our life and we ask you to help us to confront that we invite you Holy Spirit to make us so uncomfortable about our sin that we have to confront it and Jesus we desire to love you more than our sin more than more than our sinful appetites and our desires we desire you. And this morning we humble ourselves and we fall at your feet and we hold your ankles and we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace, your sacrifice, your love. And we thank you that you tell us to get up and not to be afraid. So would you give us strength and courage to face this week knowing that our King is alive, knowing that our Christ is resurrected, that the Messiah is risen. And all of that gives us the honor to call you Father. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.